Well, happy Mother's Day. You know, I, we didn't say anything up to this point because we had so many things going on. Let's, give, let's have all the mothers stand this morning. And uh, I should have had the, just the non-mothers sit down. That would have been easier. But let's give them a big hand today. And we honor mothers in this house. We are thankful for moms. They are the backbone of society, and we're so thankful for them. You may be seated, and may the Lord bless you. And I just love having uh, just an honor for them. The Bible says to honor your mother and your father. It's the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you, or that you may prosper, and that you may live long. How many of you want to prosper and live long? I think most people want that. Well, part is that's, a lot of that is tied up in the way that you honor your mother. Well, yes, your father too, but today we're talking about mom. And we know that part of living long, prospering, being a success is understanding and honoring our mothers because I'm going to show you today some amazing things that God equips mothers in particularly to do to make you a success. And that's why if you honor her, she can honor you. If you relate right to her, she can relate right to you. You can have this divine relationship and have what the giftings of a mom really are employed into your life to transform you into something way more than you would be if you did not have that uh, effect and that uh, influence that comes from a mother. So let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. We're going to get into the uh, message here. And I want to talk to you about some things, some gifts that they have. And my title is The Gifted Kingmakers of the World. And we're going to look and see how mothers are kingmakers. You know, rarely can someone say, you know, that they're self-made, and, and, but there's some influence in their lives that brings people to greatness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, we just thank you for mothers today. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Father, I ask that you open the eyes of our understanding by your spirit. Father, I pray that you give me clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit, to speak as your oracle, as one who not speaks of his own heart, but from you. And Father, I pray that each one here would have ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of your word, not just hearers only. And Father, that each one would be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And Father, that they would be conformed to your image as a result. And we give you all the praise and we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, today, my, as I said, my title is uh, the gifted kingmakers of the world. That's truly what mothers are. And I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Proverbs 31. We're going to begin there in verses 1 and 2 as our keynote verse that we're going to work from today. And it's a very interesting thing. Some people call King Lemuel that that's the poetic name for Solomon, and that's just tradition. We don't know for sure who Lemuel was, but we know that there were some things spoken here that are very pertinent to our subject today. And we're going to begin reading there in Proverbs 31, verses 1 and 2. And it says this, the words of King Lemuel the prophecy that his mother taught him. And so we go on, it says, what my son, what the son of my womb and what the son of my vows. Kind of a regressive uh, statement there. He starts out with son, son of the womb and son of the vows. Oh, really, you just reverse that because it starts out with the son of the vows and then comes along and it's a son in her womb and then comes along, he's born and it's her son. And so we see there's a regressive statement there and a reflective statement, and it's very interesting because what was just said there in those few words are very powerful. And today I want to talk to you about four gifts that mothers possess to be kingmakers in this world, to raise their children to be conquerors and overcomers. Can I get an amen? 
something very, very powerful about that. And I want to also turn in the New Testament to 2 Timothy 1 and verse 5. And we can see that this principle to make great through the mother, and we, and we can talk about the father, but that's not our subject today. Uh, a mother and a father, all through the book of Proverbs, it talks about the influence of a mother and the influence of a father. You know, the law of thy mother and the, and the teachings of thy father, and, and many different alluding to that. And so 2 Timothy 1, 5, look what it says. Very powerful thing that Paul says about Timothy. It says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, I am persuaded that it is in thee also. Someone inculcated, infiltrated, put inside that child through an impartation, through information, through inspiration, something into that child that others didn't have. And it came through the grandmother and it came through the mother and it ended up in Timothy, and Paul recognized that and could see that. I can see, I can almost tell you many times, when I see young people, I can almost tell you that there's not a mother in the home with that, with that boy or that girl. I can just about tell you with a lot of accuracy that there's not a dad in that home. Because there are certain distinctive traits that a mother inculcates and puts deep into her children, just like there is when you're a real mother and a real father. There are certain traits that a father puts deeply in to the consciousness and the fabric of, that, of his children that cannot be put there by any other means. And God created us to be husband and wife and to be the male influence and a female influence married together to represent the image of God, therefore God's influence in that child. Can I get an Amen. We need to understand that. So it's very powerful, these influences and these giftings that mothers have. Mothers hold, that, uh, mothers hold an office that every man must submit to before a wife submits to him. Because the Bible tells a child, even a male child, to submit to his mother. Can I get an amen? amen. But then it tells that in that marital relationship that a woman is to submit to the husband, which is a man. So a man starts out by submitting to a woman before he is ever allowed to have a woman submit to him. How many of you know that that's good training? And we need to be able to understand from both sides of the fence what that's like. And God wants us to understand that. Mothers are gifted uh, to instill greatness in many different ways, and there's many biblical examples of that, which we'll get to today. But I want to start out by one of Winston Churchill's favorite quotes from a poem. And as we can see that, you know, in the 1800s, you know, it was different. But I like going back into the old preachers, some of the old commentaries, the old historical records of what the church believed about women or men or about preaching or about a given subject. Because the Bible says this, and I think this is incredibly important, that the scriptures are of no private interpretation. What does that mean? That means you, when you go to interpret the Bible, the body of Christ, there should be a general agreement on it. An agreement, whether it be on one side of the world in Tanzania, and the Christians that get born again there and filled with the Holy Spirit and start reading their Bible, they start coming up with very similar interpretation and practice as we do here in America. Can I get an amen? amen. We should be able to go into the poorest neighborhood and the richest neighborhood 
And when they're reading their Bible, whether they're poor and don't have anything, if they're truly born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and having the illumination of God's Spirit upon them, they should be coming up with the same thing that the wealthiest, most educated uh, scholar, when he is studying and when he is understanding the Scripture according to the Holy Spirit's guidance and the Word of God, and being intellectually honest and interpreting, he should be coming up with the same thing. Can I get an amen? I don't care if it's rich and poor. I don't care if it's uh, young and old. I don't care if it's one denomination and one geographical region and another geographical region. We should be coming up with similar interpretation. But I'm going to take it a step further. I don't care if it's today or 500 years ago. There's no private interpretation. The Christians in the third century don't have the interpretation, and we don't. Or we don't have the interpretation, and they don't. In the 1500s, in the 1800s, in whatever, we should be able to to get rid of trendy false doctrine, false ideas, and things that are really not true because the culture has affected us to think in a certain way when we go back and look at how did the saints view this years ago. It's a very good method to ward off false teaching, heresy, and trendy ways of viewing the Scripture and what a mother's responsibility really is in life. Because I'll tell you today, you know, with women's lib and all the things today, I think it's great if a woman has a job. It's all right if you need to work and you need to make money. But don't ever exalt having a job as being more important than motherhood. There's something wrong with this culture that does that. There's something unbiblical about the culture that does that. There's something deeply perverse and anti-Christian and anti-scriptural with people who think that way. And how many of you know there's a lot of people that are throwing away motherhood like it's a cheap piece of garbage in our culture today? And that angers me because that's wrong. And I want to look at something the way that motherhood was looked at by William Wallace back in the 1800s. Now listen to me as, he, as I read this poem. It was one of uh, Winston Churchill's favorite poems and, and often quoted. It starts out by saying this, Blessings on the hand of women. Angel guarded strength and grace. In the palace, in the cottage, in the hovel. Oh, no matter where the place, would that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled it, For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Let me tell you something. There's so much truth in that. Let me go on to the next stanza. Infancy's the tender fountain. There's a fountain that you, if you get it going the right direction out of a child's living experience and start to redirect that in the right way, you can turn that child into absolute greatness. Infancy's the tender fountain, power. May with beauty flow, mothers first to guide the streamlets from them souls unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil, sunshine streamed or evil hurled. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Women, how divine your mission. Here upon our natal sod, keep, oh, keep the young heart open, always to the breath of God. It was have your heart open because the breath of God, you never know when God may speak to you. How many know the breath of God is God speaking? All true trophies of the ages are from mother's love imperiled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Blessings on the hands of women, father, sons, and daughters cry. 
and the sacred song is mingled with the worship in the sky. Mingles where no tempest darkens, rainbows evermore are hurled. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. I want to show you in scripture today how much truth there is to this old poem that this gentleman wrote back in the 1800s. You can see many things. I'm going to give you four giftings that mothers have and possess to be kingmakers in this world. Proverbs 31, 1 and 2, we just saw that King Lemuel's mother spoke to him. And here is the things that I want to bring forth from that verse. Is mothers have the unique gifting and ability to receive and believe the prophecy about their children, number one. Write these down if you have your pens. Number two, to recall and relay that prophecy to their children. Number three, to teach those prophecies to their children. Number four, to make the vows related to the prophecies of their children. And we're going to look at some examples of that. Number one, mothers are gifted to receive and believe the prophecies given concerning their children. Turn with me back into the Old Testament uh, to the book of Judges, verses chapter 13, the first few verses. We're going to look at the mother of, Sam, of uh, Samson. And we're going to see some interesting things that took place and who that God spoke to about Samson. Now, Samson, you say, well, Samson wasn't a king, but he was a judge. Judges precede kings in Scripture. And judges are actually, was God's plan. Kings uh, was not God's idea for men to be kings, only for his son to be king. But that came later when they rejected uh, Samuel's leadership and put Saul in place. But anyway, he was a judge. He is a type of uh, precursor to kings, and that is a, a type of greatness in God's eyes. We've got Judges 13, verses 1 through 3, and it says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, everybody say the woman, and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a child. The prophecy begins right there. Well, she knew she was barren. She already knew that she did not have children. She didn't need to have the angel tell her that. She already knew that. But what she did need to have the angel tell her is the prophecy that he begins to speak right now. And you shall bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink, excuse me, and the angel of the Lord appeared to her and said to the woman, I'm going to read the whole thing. Behold, now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto the unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Now, this was spoken to a mother because mothers spend more time with the children than the father. Can I get an amen? And, you know, I believe this. Paul told Timothy, he said, you are to war with the prophecies that were spoken over you. Did you know life is supposed to work like this? And some people are oblivious to it. But life is finding out what God's will is. Finding out a rhema word, a prophetic word, 
and what it is that God has for you in your life and begin to live it out. And you're going to have to war with the prophecies about your life. Did you know that all the days of your life are written in a book? It says in Psalms 116. Did you know the Lord says, I know the plans that I have for you of good and not for evil, to give you a hope and an expected end, to prosper you and not to harm you? Did you know that all the days of our life God has, if we'll but walk in that predestined plan? Did you know that God can speak to a mother about the plans for her child and begin to reveal that? And the mother, until the child can do it for himself, can begin to war with the prophecies like Paul told Timothy that have been spoken over you. In other words, take the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and begin to believe the Word of God and begin to live out what has been spoken over you. Begin to live out what the Bible says about you, who you are in Christ, and finding out your identity and finding out that when you begin to war with those prophecies, those more specific specific words that God has for you, those rhema words that you're going to have to war because the devil's going to want to shut it down, make it unknown to you, and keep you oblivious to it, or if you do know it, keep you from doing it. See, a lot of people just go through life, slip, slide down the path of least resistance and ignorance. But see, we should be finding out what God has for us. You know, it says over there, Habakkuk says, I'll sit on my watch and I'll see what he says unto me. And I'll write the vision down and make it plain that he that readeth may run with it. How many of you know we need to know what the will of the Lord is because the days are evil and we need to redeem the time and we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and we need to walk out the plan of God for our lives. Can I get an amen? But most people just, well, whatever will be, will be. Okay, so raw, so raw. Life's just a big, you know, Whatever you feel like wanting to do, just go do it. Well, that's not what I, I read. As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they, those folks, they are the sons of God. Can I get an amen? Romans eight fourteen. How's come everybody's so quiet this morning? Let me tell you something. It's so important that we begin to understand what the will of the Lord is. It says, be not drunk with wine where is in excess, but know what the will of the Lord is and be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in hymns and songs and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. See, we need to know what the will of the Lord is for our life. We need to know what the will of the Lord is for our children's life. And when you know what the will of the Lord is, then you're supposed to take the sword of the Spirit and you're supposed to war with those prophecies that have been spoken over you and say, I don't care what my circumstances say. I don't care what the devil says. I don't care what my feelings and emotions say. I'm going to do what's been prophesied over me. I'm going to do what the Lord spoke unto me. I'm going to do what the Word of God says for me to do. And I'm going to live out my life according to God's will. And you're going to have to use a sword to do that. Because the devil's going to fight you. And you're going to have to find that out. And you're going to do that. But then the greatest thing you can do is you can find out for your own kids what is God's will for my child and raise them up from day one and fighting the devil with the sword, getting your own life walked out and lived out, but also starting your child out and fighting the devil with the sword and helping them live out and walk out the prophecies that's been spoken over their life. A mother does that. I'm going to prove that to you with the scriptures I'm going to share with you today. You see, it's so important that we understand that when the angel came and he spoke, not to Samson's father, but to Samson's mother. He spoke, you need to give this child a Nazarite vow, and you need to not be drinking. You need to never cut his hair. You need to make sure he doesn't drink. You need to make sure he's doing this. You, because he's going to be a judge in Israel, and he's going to deliver God's people from the Philistines. In other words, you can't just let him be raised any old way you want to raise him. There's a way that we have, that God has for him to be raised, and you and your husband need to do this. Somebody say amen. See, God gives control over the house of the woman in, in Timothy. Now, the dad rules over the overall. He superintends 
over the wife and the children in the house, but the wife superintends over the children in the house, but then he superintends over her. Y'all get that this morning? See, my wife's the vice president, but I'm the president. No, I'm kidding. One lady says, yeah, my husband's the rooster, but I rule the rooster, and I thought, I need to cast the devil out of you, no? (laughs) But, you know, there's something about, you know, God has an order. God has an order. And Jesus was not the king, but he's the king of kings. And Lemuel's mother taught him the prophecy that was given. It says, King Lemuel, this is the prophecy that King Lemuel's mother, everybody say mother, taught him about how to be a king. She says, don't hang out with loose women. Don't go get drunk on wine and forget justice. She says, that's not any way for a king to act. He'll forget that he's supposed to be king and that he's got responsibilities because he's too busy chasing women and drinking uh, wine. He says, this is no way for a king to live, Lemuel. Let me teach you some things here. Well, she was doing the same thing that, wow, that sounds a lot like what Samson's mother was in charge of teaching and inculcating and preparing for his children. Anybody getting anything out of this this morning? Turn with me to Luke chapter 1. We'll look at the prophecy that was given to the king of kings' mother. Now, I find it very interesting that the king of kings' mother, we're talking about kingmakers this morning, that the king of kings' mother was the one that God spoke to and through to raise the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Very interesting that God would speak to the mother. Now, we're not talking that fathers aren't the main ones as the head of the house. We're not talking about God doesn't speak to men about their children because he absolutely does. We can give many examples of that. But some women might think, well, God's just going to speak to the husband. I don't ever need to be open to hear from God. I don't have any responsibilities here. Oh, yes, you do. Ladies, you got some great responsibilities. You got some great gifts, and they need to be unlocked and released in the raising of your children. And in Luke, in one, and we see that Jesus... Uh, excuse me, uh, Mary, Jesus' mother, is there. And a prophecy comes in Luke 1 and verses 26 through 38. Let's read it and let's go through that prophecy very quickly for the sake of time. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph in the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail! Thou art highly favored of the Lord, and the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And now the prophecy begins, verse 31. And behold, here's the prophecy. We're talking about mothers have a gift to receive and believe prophecies about their children. And he says, Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb. Now, we're talking about a lady that's not married. And bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus, and he shall be great. See, well, now I need to know this. I just learned that I'm going to have a child. I just learned that I need to call him Jesus. And he shall be great, and I need to understand that somehow he's going to be great. Even if they say he's terrible and they hang him on a cross, I'm still going to believe that he's going to be great. And shall be called the son of the highest. And even if they're calling him a, a liar and a traitor and a, and, a, and a blasphemer, I'm still going to believe that he's the son of the highest. There's something about a mother's love that's unlike anything that there is in the world. 
And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And I'm going to believe that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. I don't care if they mock him. I don't care if they put a, a crown of thorns on him. I don't care if they pierce him through. I don't care if they hang him on a cross. I'm still going to believe that he's going to sit on the throne of David. There's a reason why God gave that mother that prophecy. Can I get an amen? Because there's a little boy who came out from her womb that needed to be taught, needed to be inculcated, needed to be shown in the word who he was. We need to tell our children. We need to teach them in the word who they are. They're children of God. They're overcomers. They're blessed coming in. They're blessed going out. They're the head, not the tail. Can I get an amen? We need to understand that a mother teaches a child and inculcates deep into their consciousness very early in their life some very powerful things. And then Mary says, then she said unto the angel, and how shall this thing, <laughs> how shall this be done, seeing that I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, and therefore that holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. And now it's like, wow, I'm going to believe that he's the son of God. And I'm a little Jewish girl. I know all about messianic prophecies, and I know all about what it means to be called the son of God. I am going to be the mother of the deliverer of the world. And I've got to put that into that child's mind and make him understand that until he gets a revelation of it himself. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth. And, and it goes on, and, and I'm going to go to verse 37. For with God nothing is impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaiden of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. It's not only did she receive the prophecy, but right there we know that she believed the prophecy. For the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. She believed, and she spoke, and she received that assignment from God to be a kingmaker for Almighty God. Let me tell you something. We need some spiritual kings and priests in the earth today. Moms, you need to be kingmakers. Your children, we are called to be kings. We're called to be conquerors. We're called to be victorious in life. And they will find that victory to a large degree if you'll be like Mary and take that place and begin to open up your ears and begin to receive and ask God to speak to you and begin to tell you about your children and begin to have this greatness about you and this greatness about your children to hear the prophecy and then to speak the prophecy and then to inculcate and develop the prophecy in that child that God wants to raise up to be a king for the kingdom of God. Can I get an amen? Kenneth Hagin's mother, divorced, destitute, dejected, troubled, walking home after one day uh, who, who was in a terrible state. All of a sudden, she heard a wind going through the trees, and she looked up, and above a tree stood Jesus. And Jesus looked down at her and said, Your son... You will have, you will name him, and she gave the name, and he will begin to usher in the second coming. And that angel told her about Kenneth Hagin, her son, who one day went on to be one of the great leaders in the faith. Can I get an amen? Or Robert's mother, when she was crossing through a barbed wire fence, and she was right when she was going through the fence, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to her and told her about her son that would be born, told her the difficulties that he would go through and told her many things about the future of her son. And because of that, she understood what she needed to do when the trials came. My grandmother, when I was a little boy, she looked down on, on me as my sisters happened to be listening and said, one day he'll be a minister. I didn't know. I didn't want to be a minister. I thought ministers were, 
were kind of strange. Now I are one. Now I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I qualified. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, I, but later on, after I got born again, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I received the call of God. I found that out. You know, there's something powerful about a mother who will receive a prophecy from God and believe. And the Bible says, I have many things that I want to say unto you, but you're hard of hearing. He says, there are many things that you should be doing in the time that you ought to be teachers. I'm having to take you back and teach you milk again. Many times, God has things he wants to say to us, but we're hard of hearing. But God has a lot to say to you moms about your kids, if you'll just listen and be taught. And I believe that. Thank you for your massive enthusiasm for that statement. Amen. Number two, mothers are gifted to recall and to relay the facts and details of their children's prophecies. Turn with me to Luke. Just turn over one page to Luke 2, verses 10 through 19. And now we see that the shepherds receive a prophecy. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, great joy, and shall be to all people. And unto you is born in the day, this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ. There's the prophecy. Today a Savior is being born. And which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes. And suddenly there was, a, uh, w- there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God to the highest on earth and peace and goodwill towards men. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into the heaven. And the shepherds said one to another, Let us go now even into Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in the manger. And when they had seen it, they made known. Everybody say, they made known. They made known the prophecy abroad. The saying which was told them concerning the child, that he was going to be the Savior. That's a prophecy. And all that heard it wondered. Everybody say, they all wondered. At those things which were told them by the shepherds. But see, Mary didn't wonder. She didn't go, Oh, what does this mean? Oh, ah, e, i. No, look what it says about Mary. But Mary kept all those things in, kept kept in these things and pondered them in her heart. She chronicled. She took it in. She says, "Okay, I already know this, but I'm going to write this down. I'm going to make this known. I'm going to remember this, and I'm going to I'm going to pass it on to this child when he's born." I got this other prophecy. Now the, uh, you know, the angel gave me. Now the shepherds came, and an angel appeared to them and gave another prophecy. And she did this and go, well, that's cool. Wow. No, it says she pondered it. She put it into her heart. She pondered it in her heart, and the Bible says she kept. Everybody say kept. She didn't lose it. She kept it in her heart. Why was she keeping it in her heart? So, so she could walk it out and live it out and war with that prophecy to make sure that it comes to pass. Amen. I believe that when she heard that prophecy, she already knew that to a degree, but it was a confirmation. And I believe that that response is very uh, powerful because others wondered, but she kept it in her heart. She pondered it in her heart. She always knew that plan. You know, something about women, they can hear something, they can remember it. I can't even remember people's names half the time. I'll never forget when we first went to our first church in Indianapolis, Indiana. It was Lighthouse Tabernacle. 
and they had a great big party for us. We were candidating. We were thinking about taking over that church. I mean, taking over the, the associate pastor of that church. And we came, and they had this, you know, this Christian school. We had, you know, all the church people were there at this party, and, and all the leadership, and the, the elders, and the deacons, the school teachers, and the schoolmaster, and the pastor, and all the family, and everybody was there. And we're having this great party, and we were eating and having a good time. And, and I, you know, I always make Julie never get more than a couple feet from me, because if I can't remember somebody's name, she has to remind me. That's her job. And I'm having a good time, and all of a sudden the schoolmaster stands up, well, we've got this fun little game we want to play. You know, okay, wow, that sounds like fun. She says, we're going to walk through everybody that's in the room. I don't know how many people there were, 30, 40, 50, 60. There was a huge number of people in that room. And we're going to all introduce ourselves to you, and then we're going to see how many of the names you can recall and remember. I go, I'm done. It's over. They're not, I'm, I'm, it's all over. Goodbye. When I get nervous, I can't remember my own name. And all of a sudden, they go and they've introduced all themselves to me. I'm up. And they say, okay, pastor, how many names can you remember? And I walked by each one of them. I go, nope, 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 nope. I remembered one out of the whole group. How many of you know, how many of you have blacked out during a test? You're taking a really hard test. And for some reason, you just, you just, the room goes dark. The room went dark. Julie, I only got one. She only missed one. <laughs> Tell you the truth, it really made me mad. I go, God, this is not fair. Why do you do this to me? They don't want me. She'll be the pastor now, not me. Oh, my gosh. I couldn't be more humiliated. It's my one deep, dark secret is I have a hard time remembering certain things like names. And I can memorize scripture. I, I can't hardly look at a scripture and not memorize it. I just look at it and I can say it. I can remember it. I can, I've memorized thousands of scriptures or hundreds and hundreds of scriptures accidentally. But give me a name, I go blank. I don't know why that is. That's not my confession, but, that, but that's, that's just something that I, I'm believing for the victory over. Can I get an amen? But women have an uncanny ability to hear and remember and put in their heart. I'll tell you something. If all the things that were, you know, I look at pictures and, and I have to ask you now, which one is this? Is this Rachel or Elizabeth? I mean, I can't remember a lot of those things, but she can remember. She's, oh, yeah, that's when we went here, and this was the date. It was this year and this month at these people's house, and, and that's Rachel. And I'm thinking, that, that's like the most foreign information in the world to me. It's like I can't remember anything. I can't remember my own childhood, much less theirs. But I can remember scriptures. I can remember sermons. I get, how many of you know God gifts us all differently? God gives us all different abilities. God gives us cer certain things that are just, you don't even have to work at it. You're just good at it. And you can't help it. And you don't even have to try. You see, who do you suppose gave Jesus his identity as Messiah? Who knew the prophecies of his childhood? And how it was all turned... It says, but Mary kept all this in her heart, and she pondered it. She already knew the plan. She chronicled it. She made it so he could know that. I believe, you know, 
But God has, has a way. I remember when I was a little boy, my, my mom told me after I got called to the ministry, she says, I, I thought you'd be called to the ministry. I go, what? She says, when you were a little boy, you went and you looked out the window and you says, well, there is all the world. Then I stood up there and I pretended that I was preaching. And you know, it's an amazing thing. You think that I would remember that, but I did not remember that. My mom says that when I was a little boy, I got up and I stood on this, there was a table and I looked out the window and I, and I stood up real dignified like I knew what I was talking about, which I didn't. And I said, well, there is all the world. And, and I started to preach and, and talk and, and say things. And I remember when John Kennedy got shot, I went to my mom and said, who's the most important man in the world? What's all this stuff? Captain Kangaroo, they took it off and they got all this about John Kennedy. What's going on here? So what's wrong with them? He says, he's the most important man in the world. He's the president of the United States. He says, well, wait, 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 wait a minute. No, no, he's the second most important. The Pope is the most important. I says, well, then that's the one I'll be. I said, I'll be the Pope. I won't be the president. How many of you know a child's imagination is a wild thing? And I'll never forget that later on my mother told me that. And she says, oh, yeah, I, I knew. And so there's many things that God will put in the hearts of a mother. Let's go on to number three. Mothers are gifted to teach their children the prophecies and to keep them on track. We're talking about the greatness of a mother. We're talking about being a kingmaker, not just an average mom who's too busy to raise her kids. Now, no condemnation on somebody who maybe needs to work. I, I know what Julie's had to work. We, we all know what that's like to make ends meet. You, it's a lot of time to work. But you know what? You need to invest into your role as mother and the gifts that God has given you to put into your children. Can I get an amen? I would just love to see people get excited about that. Mothers are gifted to teach. Turn with me to Luke 2, 43. We're going to look at some things there. And it says here about when they went, and they went to the census, and they were all going to be counted in the temple. And, uh, and, but they, supposing him to have been, we're going to go with 44, in the company, went a day's journey. And, of course, they'd go in for three days and be counted at the census. And there were thousands of people there, and they're coming back home. And they sought him among their kinsfolk and acquaintances. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem seeking him. So here's... You know, Mary and Joseph, and they lost Jesus. Where'd Jesus go? Where is he? How many of you ever gotten a little irritated when your kids disappear? It's like, where is he? And I, I'm, I still have that problem. I'm just kidding. But, you know, it's like, where, where are they? How come they took my car? <laughs> and, you're, and you're like, where are my kids? Where's my kid at? I know none of you ever have those type of things happen, so... So they're saying, where's, where's, you know, I feel kind of good because Mary and Joseph had everybody. Where's Jesus at? And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem. And they came to, uh, to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were amazed or astonished at his understanding and his answers. Somebody had been teaching that young man. And when they saw him, they were amazed and his mother said unto him, Son, why hast thou de- dealt with us like this? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Wow. So Mary is there reproving him, bringing correction to him. And she, she's there. You know, Mary reproves and, 
uh, and tells him, you know, where have you been? You can tell she's not happy. And, you know, you look at that verse 51. Look what it says in verse 51. And, and of course, he said, I was in my father's house, and I was doing this business. And, yeah, we know that. But then it says in verse 51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. One translation says he became submitted unto them. You mean Jesus wasn't submitted? Well, how many of you know everybody, you have to learn submission? It's just not something that you just automatically know. Well, where does it say that, Pastor Bill? I'm so glad that you asked. Hebrews 5.8. Though he were a son, yet he learned, learned he obedience. Everybody say, Jesus learned obedience. It wasn't just inherent in the fact that he was the son of God. He was also the son of man. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience. He, he learned obedience when his mother rebuked him. and says, what have you been doing? Where have you been at? He says, I've been in here teaching these guys. She says, oh, that's, that's probably, she probably was nicer after that. But nonetheless, she rebuked him. And then look at the net result. Go back down to verse 51. We're in Luke 2. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. And his mother kept all these things and these sayings in her heart. How many of you know Mary's still chronicling? She's still saying, yep, yep, yep. This goes along with those prophecies. Yep. Nobody's ever seen a child who knew the word like this. They're all amazed at him. Yep, this, is, this goes along with what Gabriel the angel told me back then when he, before he was born. Yep, I've been teaching him. And how many of you know a mother's duty in the Jewish world was to teach her children the Pentateuch? And they used to sing it, and they memorized it all. The first five books of the Bible. And how mothers did that. And she's been teaching him this. And there's nobody like him. And they're all amazed at him. And he's saying things like, I'm about my father's business. Where, where did he get that? Where did he learn that? Somebody's been tutoring this boy. Somebody's been at work being a kingmaker. Of course, he's already the king of kings. But you know what? When Jesus died on the cross, he made us king, kings and priests. But somebody has to help teach us to understand who we are. Somebody say amen. And then it says, she kept all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom. You see, now, Jesus has just been rebuked by his mom, re- reproved. He's learning obedience or submission he's learning everybody say he's learning it and his mother is chronicling it she's taking note of it she's keeping all these things in her heart and jesus increased in wisdom and in stature it says jesus everybody say jesus increased in wisdom so if he increased in wisdom that means that there was some wisdom that he didn't have that he obtained and right after his mother reproves him and corrects him we see and it says in Hebrews, he learned by the things that he suffered. And it, no doubt was suffering. It probably didn't feel good to have your mom rebuke you and reprove you and tell you, you know, you, what are you doing here? And, and you need to become more submitted to us. And it says he became submitted to them. It doesn't say he just always was. It says he became submitted unto them. He learned obedience. And he grew in wisdom. There is a gift in mothers to teach their children wisdom through discipline. Proverbs talks about that. You know, it used to be reading, writing, and arithmetic and learning to the tune of a hickory stick. 
Everybody say that. Reading and writing and arithmetic. And learning to the tune of a hickory stick. Not a political correctness manual. Amen. So Proverbs 19, 25 says this. I, I like what this says. It says that, that reprove. Second half of that verse says reprove one that hath understanding and he will understand knowledge. In other words, if you reprove, Jesus had knowledge. He was pretty bright. If you reprove somebody that's got knowledge, they'll get smarter. It says if you, if you reprove a fool, he'll hate you. But a smart person will increase in knowledge every time he gets reproved, every time he gets corrected. See, Jesus was growing in knowledge. Let's go to the last one. So a mother has a gift to be able to teach her children. There's something powerful. Let me just hit those again. I'm just going to give you those three that we've done. Mothers are gifted to receive and believe the prophecies given concerning their children. Number two, mothers are gifted to recall and relay the facts and details about their children's prophecies. Number three, mothers are gifted to be kingmakers to teach their children about those prophecies and to teach them into doing it and reprove them and cause them to grow in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and man. And then our last one uh, here is mothers are gifted to make vows concerning their children. We can go to the story, and I'm going to close out on this, of 1 Samuel. Samuel, it says, was a prophet without any prophetic error. None of his words fell to the ground. 1 Samuel 7, 13 through 17, it says, Samuel judged all of Israel successfully. He never made any mistakes. Samuel was a judge. Now, again, I said judges were precursors to kings. Judges were actually preferred over kings in God's system of things. Judges were kind of sanctified leaders or kings. Samuel was one of these judges, and the Bible says that his reign as a judge was without any error. He did everything right. How many would like to know that your kids are going to do everything right that they're going to do someday? I believe that God can help us with that. And I know that there was a situation in Samuel's life. You know, Proverbs, we see that it says that, Uh, The mother of King Lemuel, let me read it again. The words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. What, my son, what the son of my vows, my my womb, what the son of my vows. She had made some vows. We can go over there to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we see Hannah is barren. And Hannah is crying out to God, Oh God, I don't have any children. How can I be pleasing As a Jewish wife to my husband, how can I bear this? This is horrible. And she said, I will give to you this child. I will make a vow. I will cause him to be a Nazarite. And she began to make a vow to God. And she is in the temple, and she's so miserable, and she's so pleading with God, and she's so tore up about the fact that she's barren, can't have a child, that the priest comes in and says, what you been doing? You been drinking, lady? What's wrong with you? You're sitting there and your mouth's running, but there's no, no sound coming out of it. She's going. She's prayed so long, she's probably hoarse and can't say anything. I don't know what happened, but she wasn't drunk. She says, sir, I am not drunk. She says, I am just so terribly troubled by this thing of not having a baby. 
And the priest saw and had compassion, and a prophetic word comes. Everybody say, a prophetic word. He says, you're going to have a baby. And she says, oh. And then I'm sure it came to her mind, oh, I made a vow. And that means I'm going to have to turn him over to the priest, Eli. But when she made a vow, I mean, she was praying hard and nothing was happening. She was praying and nothing was happening. She was praying and nothing was happening. But then all of a sudden, she made a vow. It must have been God's will. She made a vow with that child. And right after that, the priest comes in and says, you're going to have a baby. And she brings that child to him. And that child was Samuel, and he grew up. And she kept her vow. And because of that, she was a great kingmaker. And he was raised in the house, which is unconventional. But she had great influence, and she was there. And she, he was raised, and he became one of the great prophets, one of the great judges of Israel. And Hannah was barren, and that Nazarite vow was given. And Hannah was faithful to that vow, and she followed that vow. King Lemuel's mother made a vow. Sometimes you need to make a vow. Lord, I vow and I give this child to you. And there's something about it. When a mother does that, God heard her and granted her the ability to have that child. How many of you know that's supernatural? That's prophetic. Today I just want to encourage you that moms are to be revered. Mothers have great power. Moms are kingmakers and queen makers, if we can say that. But they can put greatness into the children. And I believe this, that when we understand the great gifting that God has given in the rearing of children, you know, you, it, it's, it, it's one thing to just have kids, you know. An animal can have offspring. But it's a whole other thing to be a, good, a great mother. Can I get an amen? You know, any animal can have offspring. But it's a great thing to be a mother. And there is a huge difference. And today in our culture, that line is getting very blurry. A lot of people are just having offspring. A lot of people don't understand. Today, last week I heard, and just to tell you how the enemy hates motherhood, hates parenting. In Australia, they're working right now in their Senate to make a bill to outlaw parental reading to their children. And their reasoning for doing it was this. Now get this, this is just an amazing thing. Because the kids that have their parents read to them when they're little, it's unfair to the rest of the kids because they become so much smarter. It's like, thank you for the compliment, but you're too stupid to get it. Why don't you just do the same? In other words, it is so powerful that when a parent spends time and reads with the kids, that in Australia, they see such a difference between those who do read to their kids and those who don't read to their kids, they're going to outlaw reading their kids because they see it as such an incredibly outrageous, unfair advantage over all the rest of the kids. Is that unbelievable? Is that backwards? Is that demonic? Is that crazy? But, you know, there's a whole generation of people that don't see the importance of those type of things. They don't understand the difference between just having children like an animal and being a true mother, and having a dignity about understanding that, and having a great understanding of how those who rock the cradle rule the world. Let's stand up.